Good morning, family. Didn't uh, Sean and Jane look a little bit like a 50s or 60s American kind of sitcom family show or something? You know? That's beautiful, wonderful to see. Well, it's great to be together and uh, well done to everybody who made it out the door today. Hey, how many of you, when you sort of woke up and you got to the door, you were like paused for a moment? Hey, isn't online, doesn't online church sound like a better plan today? Um, and uh, so you made it. Well done. And uh, welcome to those that are online. We No judgment if you stayed in bed today. You know, you're probably clever, but it's great to be together and, and uh, just enjoy each other's company in the, in the presence of the Lord. And so we've been busy with our series about uh, Naturally Supernatural. And let me just remind you a little bit of, of where we've been. And uh, we're basically considering that when God created um, the heavens and the earth, his initial plan and his ultimate plan is that heaven and earth are actually quite close together in terms of a shared experience and a space where humans can interact with God. And so what we see in the Garden of Eden, when God created the Garden of Eden, it was like heaven and earth was in one space. If you think of earth as man's space and the heavens is God's space, they were very close to one another. There was a sense of unity. There was a sort of an overlap, uh, a shared experience that you could have in the Garden of Eden where Adam and Eve could live in this very natural world as natural people made according to natural laws but yet be able to interact with God that is in the supernatural living within the realms of supernatural laws. And these two worlds were coexisting in, in some form of unity and harmony with each other. And then what happened is in the fall of man, when man sinned, the separation took place. And now we live in a space where there's on the one side the heavens and on the other side the earth. And we have this dichotomy that we experience where there's the world of the supernatural that functions with its reality and its laws and which generally would be considered to be God's place and then you have a God's space and then you would have the earth which runs according to its natural laws and it would be considered man's space. Now I'm not saying God is not omnipresent, I'm just talking about in terms of the sort of experience that you have in either world. You have this separation. But God's idea is always that these two would be united again. And that's part of what Jesus did. When Jesus came to earth as a man that was fully God and fully man, he brought again together an experience where us in the natural world can be close to God in the supernatural world. And Jesus was this reunification of a naturally supernatural life. And that he's invited us into this life. And so now as believers, we live in, a, in this reality where Jesus has brought this overlap. And we live very natural lives in this natural world by the natural laws. But at the same time, we also live a spiritual life according to the spiritual laws and the spiritual reality. And those two aren't competing with one another, but they, there's a, a reunification that needs to happen. And we are learning what it means to live in the fullness of the natural and in the fullness of the spiritual. God created both for His glory and His honor. The idea is not to escape the natural and to live fully in the supernatural or to be completely natural and 
leave the supernatural for one day in the sweet by and by. But it's to learn to be able to live in both. One of the scriptures that I've repeated a couple of times is 1 Corinthians 1 verse 22 to 25 where, where Paul writes to the Corinthian, he says, Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom. And he's talking about this dichotomy where perhaps Jews are people that are more comfortable within this spiritual reality, the supernatural. And Greeks are more naturally minded. They're looking for understanding, knowledge, explanation, reason, and wisdom. And he says, you can have these two dichotomies that are active. And the temptation is to be drawn into one or the other. But then he says this, but we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. And so what our faith presents, what Christianity presents is not a hyper-spiritual reality or a completely materialistic, natural way of living, but this in Christ coming together of both. So for me as a believer, Paul is encouraging me, don't be like a Jew looking for the supernatural in everything, but he's also saying don't be like a Greek that's looking for the natural law in everything. But look to Christ. The coming together, the reunification. So practically you and I as believers are living every day saying, Lord Jesus, how do I live naturally supernatural? How do I live the supernatural truth in this natural world and not be pulled into one corner or one extreme, but live in the reality of both? Then for the two weeks, we've also been speaking about how the way to step into that supernatural supernatural reality is first of all, a work of grace. Grace, God's unmerited favor, God's kindness towards us, that we do not deserve to live in this complete picture of how God created things to work, naturally and supernatural in harmony. We can't do it. We can't work towards it. It is a supernatural act of grace that God does for us. So if you, if you can imagine almost, if here's the, the heavens and here's the earth, God reaches from the supernatural and he, he makes it possible from, uh, for us here in the natural to be reunited with him in the supernatural. And that's a work of grace. We, can't, we don't deserve it. And that work of grace, we then spoke about righteousness. How in that work that God does, He declares us righteous because God's space is a space of holiness, of perfection, of beauty. And God cannot allow the brokenness, the sin, the contamination of this world into His presence. We don't qualify. We don't make it. But because of what Jesus came and did on the earth when He left the heavens uh, and took on the form of a man and came and lived among us here, he, he, brought, he started bringing this reunification. And, and if we believe in Jesus, we are then justified. We are declared righteous so that we can re be reunited with God. That it is possible for in us this natural, supernatural unity to be shaped and formed. Now today I want to take it one step forward and talk about what is it that we need to do to be able to connect to this work of grace that God has done? This invitation, if, if you want to think about it like this. This opening of the door where God says, you can come back in. You can come. You can come and 
Step back into my presence, back into my space. You can come learn again what it means to live according to my law. I welcome you in. How do I do that? Because that invitation is made to all humanity. Every single human being that has ever lived, is living now, and will ever live, God has invited to come back into that naturally supernatural life. But not everybody does it. Not everybody actually accepts that invitation. So how do we accept its expectation? And that is where the word faith becomes so important. It is through faith and by faith, by believing in the invitation, accepting the invitation, that I can step back into that natural, supernatural life. The supernatural is here among us. And people try and connect to the supernatural. And one of the things the enemy does is the enemy comes and gives counterfeit ways to connect with the supernatural. The enemy will offer you doorways into the supernatural through things like the occult, perhaps, rituals, through worship of forefathers, through um, you know, trying to divine the future, reading of palms and reading of, you know, crystal balls and horoscopes. These are all like doorways the enemy opens to say, you can live in the supernatural. You can also experience the supernatural. And humans are drawn to it because we are supernatural beings. We were made, we are made with spirits and God made us to live in the natural and the supernatural. And so we have this consistent drawing to the supernatural. Uh, it's interesting, for instance, in, in a country like France, which is you know, wholly secular, the, the church, Christians, practicing Christians in France is a small group, minority. It has a billion euro industry of the supernatural, of new age, occultic kind of things. And so many people are trying to connect to the supernatural in some way. The problem is if you connect into the supernatural through any of the avenues the enemy opens to you, it's going to lead to death and destruction and further separation. The only way you can live in a healthy, good way, reconnecting with the supernatural, is through believing in Jesus. Because he's the author of the supernatural. He knows the laws of the supernatural. He understands how the supernatural works and how he's made us to operate within that space and how to live within that reality. And so it's only through Jesus and the blood of Jesus, once we have been justified and declared righteous, that we dare step into those spaces again and allow our spirits to wake up, to be stirred, to be enlightened within the supernatural, if I use a term, please. That word enlightened can sound new age. I don't mean it like that. I mean really just awakened, aware of the supernatural. But it's by the Holy Spirit that that happens. Isn't that why Jesus said, I'm going, but I give you the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will guide you in all truth. So it's the Holy Spirit that takes me and is able to help me come back into this reunification where I don't become less natural he, the Holy Spirit, one of the things the Holy Spirit does is the Holy Spirit helps me become more natural than what I can ever be on my own. But it also helps me become more spiritual. Fully natural, fully spiritual. 
That's why when the Bible says, for you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament, before Jesus came, God already wanted to tell us and communicate to us that he wants the heavens and the earth to come close together. And so the temples and tabernacles that you read of in the Old Testament were these particular places where this, you started seeing this happen. And there, where a temple was, there was this small little overlap between heaven and earth. Where God said, I want you to live with me. I want you to come and dwell with me. And I'm going to you know, consecrate certain spaces. And through a system of worship, God said, this is like a, a space that's opening up where the heavens and the earth are, are coming together. And, and there you can learn to experience what it means to live with me. But then Jesus came. And he became the fullness of the revelation and the possibility for that complete Union to happen again. And so now when I'm a believer, the scripture says, I am the tabernacle of the Holy Spirit. So in me, there's this unification that takes place. I can be fully in the spirit and fully in my natural being. Living in the, with the laws of both. Living with the understanding of life in both. But that is possible through faith. Romans 1 verse 16 verse 217 says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power, it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. The gospel is this message that comes with the power for you and me to step into the, the work of God and into this reunification. This life of the Spirit. That's what the gospel, what is the gospel? The gospel is the good news. It's the invitation of God. Come, come, come back. Come have fellowship with me. Come into my space. Come into my family. Come and have communion with me. But how many of you know that you can hear the gospel? It doesn't mean that you have received the gospel. It doesn't mean that you believe the gospel. It doesn't mean that you accept the invitation. But when I put my faith in Christ, I accept the invitation. The Holy Spirit says, now welcome in. Come back. The gospel, it is the power of God unto salvation. What is salvation? It is this coming together of a natural world as God created it to be into this and reunited with the supernatural world. And please remember, we always talk about how salvation, if I, if I personalize salvation, I, I, we always say, I have been saved, I am being saved, and one day I will be completely saved. I have been saved. How have I been saved? The moment I believed in the, in the finished work of Christ on the cross, and that I have stopped trying to justify myself. And I go to Jesus and I say, Lord Jesus, I accept your sacrifice. In that moment, I have been saved. I am now a citizen of God's kingdom. God's kingdom, this place where the natural and the supernatural is being reunited. I belong. The moment I believe, all I need to do is believe. That moment I'm saved, I belong. But I'm also being saved. What does that mean? I'm learning what it means to live in that space now. I've been welcomed into that space and I fully belong, but I don't quite understand the rules and how to behave and how to live in that space. And I've still got some really bad old behaviors and I'm trying to copy some of my 
pre-salvation behaviors into this new space, and now I'm learning what it means to be saved, and we call that sanctification. That's discipleship. I'm learning, I'm being saved. And then one day I will be completely saved. What does that mean? One day this that God is busy reuniting will completely happen. And the heavens and the earth, the scripture talks about there's a new heaven and a new earth. And one day when that new heaven and new earth comes, there will be no longer a separation and this shared coming together, this tension, it will now be reunited and completely one, and then I will be fully saved. I will live fully, practically in the reality of a reunified, spiritual, natural, supernatural world. So if I'm a believer, I've been saved, I've left trying to live outside of God, I've re-entered living with God, but now I'm busy learning what it means to live with God. And one day I will completely know how to live with God. And that's the gospel. What is faith? The Bible gives us a great definition in Hebrews 11 verse 1. It says the following. Now faith is the confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Faith is the confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. What is it that we hope for? We hope for this reunification. We hope to become fully alive with God, to be fully alive in our natural beings. What does it mean to be fully alive in your natural being? No death, no sickness, no sorrow, no pain, no getting older. We hope for that. We hope to be fully alive in our natural, but we also hope to be fully alive in the spiritual. What does it mean to be fully alive in the spiritual? To have union with God, to have communion with God, to see God, to be able to walk with God. You see, right now we can't see God. We see him by faith. But do you know that one day when we live in the new heavens and the new earth, you will see God. You won't have to believe that he's there. You will see him. You will live with him. You will experience him. So we hope for that. And that's what we hope for. But faith, it says here, is the confidence in what we hope for. So faith is the certainty. It's the knowing that now I'm living and I'm hoping for that to come in the future. But to me, it is real now already. Because I'm certain about it. I'm certain that it's going to happen. I'm certain that that is what my future holds. I'm certain of it. I'm not, perhaps it will happen. It might happen. It is going to happen. So as a Christian, for instance, your faith is that when I die, I'm going to be with God for eternity. Amen? How many of you believe that? Do you believe that? Do you hope for that or, or are you certain about that? For a Christian, it is a certainty. It's not something that, you know, we're saying, well, you know, I'm going to go to church and then I'm going to go to the mosque and then I'm going to go to the synagogue and then I'm going to, you know, and I'm going to go and burn my sacrifices and then I'm going to, I'm going to cover all my bets because I just want to make sure that Anything that's possible, I hope that I'm, I'm good enough. 
No, we have what we call assurance of salvation. Certainty that I've accepted Jesus, therefore I will be with God in eternity. But that's not just something that is a future certainty. It changes the way we live now, doesn't it? Doesn't it affect the way we live now? Because we know that's how we're going to live for eternity. I want to live that way now. I want to live that way now. And so it's important to understand this composition within faith of faith and hope. Faith is not an emotion. It's not a feeling. It's a conviction. It's a knowing. It's a foundation that changes everything about our lives. Hope is the expectation. Faith is the foundation. Freilich, in his writing, it's, it's one of the books that we, we read when we studied in our degree. Harold Freilich speaks about faith and hope. And he says, faith is what brings the future to us. Hope is what brings us to the future. I'm going to ask Ben. He's my assistant today. We're going to do a bit of tug of war on stage. So Ben, there's your end of the rope. So Ben, just because he's such a great guy, he is the heavens and I am the earth. Okay? Because I'm a bit rounder than what Ben is. So I'm the, I'm the, the earth and he's the heavens. So I am the current reality. He is the future reality in one sense. Because currently, I'm living in this broken world. I'm feeling the pain, the sickness, the disappointment, the hurt, the heartache. I'm feeling it right now. But as a believer, I know there's a future, the heavens, where there's no more pain, no more sorrow, no more failure, no more brokenness. And so while I'm living on this earth, when I hope, what I'm doing is I'm pulling myself along this rope towards the future. I'm saying, oh, today's difficult. Oh, my body's so sore. Oh, I'm so disappointed. But I know there's a better future. And I'm not going to give up. I'm going to keep walking towards that future. I'm not going to give up on the future. Just because now is painful doesn't mean the future is going to be painful. So I keep hoping. Isn't that what we do? The Hebrew word for hope is the same root word as rope. It means I'm connected to the future and I'm not letting go. I'm, I'm hoping things are going to get better. But faith is a little different than hope. Because what faith does is it starts drawing the future towards me. Now Ben starts coming towards me. So while hope is me moving towards the promise, faith and you cannot separate these two. They're very close to one another. And one is not better than the other necessarily. Don't think like that. They both make up the whole picture. Faith is when I start saying, but that future I live now already. So yes, I'm sick, but I can pray for my disease. Because there's a future where I will be healed, but it's possible that that healing can be brought into this world now. My heart is broken. I feel the disappointment of sin and how I failed people and how, I've, uh, and how I have failed people and how they failed me. And I know in the future that's not going to be the reality. So I'm going to keep working. I'm going to keep trying to not hurt people and, and, and respond better when people hurt me and forgive. So I'm going to walk towards the future in hope 
But I'm also saying I believe in that future. It's a certainty. Therefore, when I forgive, I'm also bringing heaven to earth. I'm recreating space. I'm making a difference. Why don't you give Ben a good round of applause? I'm going to throw this rope over here because otherwise I've got to roll it and, and you're going to see me fall just now. Does that help? Does that make sense? Now it's not an either or. And, and it's not, sometimes we hope, sometimes we have faith. It's always the two working together. It's the completion. Without hope, you can't have faith. But without faith, you can't have hope. But we're not just living in a future expectation. We're living with a current expectation. We know that all the problems will be solved when the heavens come back to earth. But we now can become that space where the future reality starts being manifest here. And so we trust God in faith. Now faith is something that grows within us. Faith is something that develops. It's to be nurtured. This kind of faith that can draw that reality, which I don't see, which is perhaps a little hard to explain, which is a bit outside of my frame of reference, which I live in this natural law world. I understand natural laws. I don't quite understand the spiritual laws and how those things work unless the scripture and the Holy Spirit educates me. But even then, I don't completely understand it. But by faith, I'm drawing that into my experience. And right now, I'm growing in what it means to live a naturally supernatural life. So I want to grow in my faith. The Bible talks about faith that grows. In 1 Thessalonians 3 verse 10, Paul writes to the Thessalonians and he says the following, Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. These are Christians. This is a church. He's writing to this church and he's saying, I'm praying for you and I'm looking to come to you so that I can work with you so that that which your faith is not, it can become. In other words, their faith, there is faith, but it is lacking. Then he writes to the same church in 2 Thessalonians 1 verse 3 and he says the following, we all ought always to thank God for you brothers and sisters and rightly so because your faith is growing more and more. And the love all of you have for one another is increasing. So first he's saying, listen guys, your lack, your faith has lack. It's, it's underdeveloped. Now he says, wow, I'm amazed at how your faith is growing. Your faith is becoming stronger. And we know that, don't we? That faith is something that needs to be developed. It needs to be grown within us. And so I want to talk about growing faith. Now what I'm not doing is I'm not giving you steps or stages of faith, but I want to describe faith in perhaps some of its fuller definitions and see how we can allow the Spirit to grow us in faith. Now the first thing is you get no faith. Now when I say no faith, I don't mean no trust in anything because you cannot live on this planet if you do not have some level of faith. Amen? How many of you drove here this morning? That's a great act of faith. Not only did you show faith in, you know, the people that made that car, you showed faith in the people that designed the roads, and even in load shedding, you showed great amount of faith that other people are going to stop at the dead robot. 
That takes faith. To live on this planet takes faith. I'm talking about no faith. No faith in God and this reality of God wanting us to live with him and this reunification. Many people have no faith. No faith in that God wants to be with us and that God is even around. There are people that believe there's no God. There are people that believe even if there is a God, he's disinterested, he's busy elsewhere. He's got nothing to do with us. No faith. And then there are people that completely believe in the wrong kind of God. So I would include them in not having the faith that we're talking about scripturally. And then you have what is called little faith. Now, there's two types of little faith in the New Testament. The one type is even if you have faith as little as a mustard seed, little faith. That's not the little faith I'm talking about. I'll I'll talk about that just now. The little faith I'm talking about is the time like when Jesus was with his disciples on the boat and the storm arose and they were freaking out. Remember, what did Jesus say to them? Oh, ye of little faith. Now, let me just try and bring this to just some cohesion in terms of the Bible says all we need is a little bit of faith and it will move mountains. Little bit of faith. But now we're saying faith must grow. You actually need more than a little bit of faith. How do you reconcile those two? let Let me just say how I think about it. Any faith, biblical faith in God, Faith in his character, faith in who he is, because ultimately that is what faith is. Faith is believing God that he is who he says he is and he will do what he says he will do. That faith, any bit of that faith is enough to save you, to change your life. The little bit of faith is enough. The Bible says even if you have faith like a mustard seed, let me me liken that to a diamond. How many of you know there are no huge diamonds comparatively to rocks, boulders. This is a huge diamond. Am I right? I don't have one of these, so. This is a huge diamond. So in a sense, I can say to you, even if you have a little diamond, you are wealthy. Because diamonds are only small. I don't need a boulder, just need a little bit. And so it is with faith. Faith a little bit. Because faith is not actually about the quality, it's about the quantity. Not about the quantity, it's about the quality. And that's why the Bible says your faith needs to become stronger. And I'll show you that just now. It needs to be tested. It needs to persevere that its quality can become better. We don't need mountains of faith. That's the That's the opposite of it. That's what Jesus is saying. He says, you can have this little bit of faith. It is more than a massive mountain. Just like a little diamond like this is more than a big mountain or a massive rock. So we have a little bit of faith that you need. But that little bit of faith can become stronger, can become purer, can can become tested and proven. And that little bit of faith I don't know about you, but I want my faith to become more. Because the more my faith is, the more I'm connected to this reality. 
Because if faith is the way that I step into this world and accept the invitation of the reunification, the more stronger my faith is, the more stronger I can have the sense of living in the both. But I'll, I'll say something more about that just now. So there's little faith. What is little faith in the Bible? Little faith is the faith that is there, but it's not quite strong enough to resist the temptations. It's not quite strong enough to keep your mind from wandering. It's not quite strong enough to stand against the storm, but it's there. It's there. You can work with it, but it needs to grow. That's what Jesus was saying to his disciples. Oh, you have little faith. The storm that you are facing now is causing you to freak out. If you knew what was coming your way, you would think that this storm is nothing to deal with. Your faith needs to become hardened. If you don't have the mental capacity to have to stand calmly in the midst of a storm like this, you're not going to have the mental strength to stand in the, in the face of the persecution that's coming your way. Your faith needs to be hardened. Little faith. Then the Bible talks about great faith. Uh, little faith is Matthew 8 verse 26, for instance. Great faith is Matthew 8 verse 10 and 15 verse 28. Interesting that Jesus described great faith that he found and he commended it, but he, in places where he wasn't supposed to find it. He went looking amongst the people of Israel that had the promise, that had the, the, the knowledge of faith and wanted them to believe in him, but they couldn't. They didn't want to. They didn't want to accept the invitation. And then he encountered the centurion. Remember the centurion and the Syrophoenician woman that were, that were non-believers, Gentiles. They weren't supposed to have faith, but yet both of them believed Jesus. Both of them believed that this future reality can become present in this world now. And both of them saw healings happen in their home. And Jesus commended them both. And he, said, he says, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith when he encountered the, the centurion. Interesting, great faith. There's such a thing as great faith. Great faith is when somebody is able to reach beyond their very limited experience and understanding and knowledge and say, I can see the heavens. They weren't supposed to be able to see the heavens. They didn't grow up with the knowledge of the heavens like the Israelites did. They didn't grow up with the stories of God and man united and of the tabernacles of God dwelling with. They didn't know that. But yet... In some amazing way, these two people could reach beyond that and say, God wants to be with me. And Jesus commended their great faith. The next one is strong faith. In Romans 4, verse 19 to 21, when it talks about Abraham, it talks about his strong faith. It says this in verse 19. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was good as dead since he was about 100 years old and, this, and that Sarah's womb was also dead. I think I referenced this last Sunday. I said it was in Hebrew, so I repent. It's not in Hebrews, it's in Romans. I found it. He looked at his body. He didn't ignore his body. Can you see he was in the, fully in the natural? I am too old to have a child. And even more importantly, my wife is too old. We are not going to have children. It's not possible. Natural. But yet he believed God. Supernatural. And he was able to bring those two together. Since he was about 100 years old and said that Sarah's womb was also dead, 
Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promises of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. That's the key of faith, that God had power to do what he had promised. Faith is believing that God is who he says he is and that he will do what he said he will do. Faith is not a characteristic I have as much as it is a knowledge about who God is. When, I, when my faith is weak, it's because I'm not seeing God for who he really is. If I'm facing a situation and I begin to doubt, that doubt means I'm not seeing who God really is. I actually think that God is not who he says he is or will not do what he said he will do, and therefore I doubt. So faith for us is not a feeling that we have. It's not, oh, just be a positive person. Be a person that just believes the best. That's not faith. Faith is knowing who God is. Because it's not your faith that matters as much as it is the object of your faith. What gives your faith strength and value is not how much of it you have, but it is in who it is and knowing Him. That's why it's a little bit of faith that is required. Because a little bit of faith about the big God solves the problem. You can have a lot of faith about a small God and it doesn't solve your problem. So that's what faith is. It's knowing him. And that's what Abraham had. Great faith. Or strong faith, sorry. Strong faith. Then fullness of faith. Hebrews 10 verse 22. Let me just read that scripture. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with a full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. We have fullness of faith. We have fullness of faith when we know I have access to God. Always. Because faith is about Him. And whenever I step into his presence, whenever I live knowing that I'm with him and I'm in his presence, I can have fullness of faith. The last one is tested faith. And in a sense, this is the, the key. For faith to grow, it must be tested. It must be tested. If my faith is to develop from little faith to strong faith, Great faith, full faith. The only way that happens is through testing. Testing is proving. Now the Bible says, count it pure joy when you face trials and persecutions of various kinds. And that's a scripture we so often wrestle with, don't we? How do I count it pure joy when I'm facing difficulties? How many of you are facing some difficulties right now? Anybody? Yeah. I'm sure there's a lot of you. You should be smiling. You should be going, yes! It's difficult! Wow, I'm so, I'm so excited, my life's difficult! They've just cut my salary, yes! Hey? Isn't that what the Bible says? Count it, does it even say joy? All joy. Have you ever taken all the joy you can muster and go, yes, I'm suffering? <laughs> it, it sort of doesn't make sense. Until we understand this, that present suffering produces future freedom. 
How does that work? You see, every one of us lives in a prison of what we think we can do, what we think we can handle. Every one of us has fear. Let's say, for instance, a parent. What is a parent's worst fear? If something has to happen to my child. And that's a fear. And or perhaps your fear is that you will lose your job. Or perhaps your fear is some diagnosis or, or whatever. And we live in the, in the sort of a captivity of that fear. Until something actually happens to us. And then we start realizing, man alive, I can actually handle this. Because a grace comes into my life in that moment. And if that which I feared the most begins to happen to me, and I experience the grace of God, something in me goes, wow, okay. I can actually, there's more than what I thought. I can handle more. I can go further. And so when I come out of a difficult time, having experienced it's like challenge, but I've survived, I come out the other side a little bit freer. Because I'm going, I'm not so scared anymore. I thought I couldn't handle it, but I can handle it. Now, I'm not talking about handling it just in and of yourself. Because some of these things, like losing a child, nobody can handle that. But in that moment, there's a grace that God comes and brings. I mean, we have people among us that can testify of that grace. And yes, it's something that you say, I never want to experience again. I never want anybody else to experience it. But I know I have seen the grace of God. I'm a little freer than I was in, in myself. Would I exchange it? No. Let's, let's be honest. But that's what happens when we go through struggles. It, it begins to tell us that God is bigger than what we thought he was. And I can actually handle more than what I thought I could handle. And so the next time the challenge comes, perhaps I'm not so afraid. And I begin to be a little bit more free. Now, we all live different lives and there are different challenges that we face. And some people face more significant challenges than other people do in their lifetimes. But that's not what we should worry about. It's just that whatever I face, my faith can grow. But it grows when it's tested. When I'm tempted to give in, but I don't, faith begins to develop. And the next time the temptation comes, I go, no, 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 I know you. I've seen you. I've said no to you once before. I'm going to say no again. And faith grows. Faith that is tested. And that's what he means when he says, count joy when you face trials. Because those trials are there to show you who God really is. So that you can see him more fully. So that you will be surprised by what he's able to do even when you think you can't handle it. You'll see what he can handle. And in him you would actually grow. And your faith will become stronger. And that's our faith. Our faith grows. And when our faith grows, there's a power that comes with that faith. 2 Thessalonians again, 1 verse 11. Therefore we also pray before you that our God would count you worthy of his calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power. So we know that we live in this earthly reality with its pain and, or, uh, let me say consistent, this earthly reality with its pain, its problems, its brokenness, its sin. 
And here we have heaven with its promise, its beauty, its perfection. And now we have begun to enter a space where we go, okay, but these two are coming together again. And in Jesus, there's an overlap. So in Jesus, I can live in this world. Let's say, for instance, become sick. But I can, and I understand the natural law of sickness. But I'm also beginning to learn, because I'm connected in faith, the supernatural law that God is a healer. And that if I can pray for my sickness, and that healing may be possible. And so I don't just deal with sickness in a natural way, I begin to deal with it in a supernatural way also. Now, I'm not foregoing the natural, I don't have to do that. Because we're not moving towards a world where there's no natural, the new heavens and the new earth is the natural and the supernatural in harmony and union with one another. So I'm not foregoing the, super, the natural, but I'm also saying, teach me the supernatural. Now, how many of you know there are laws, even in the na in natural, that are higher than other laws? Like, for instance, the law of gravity is a, is a fantastic law in that it's consistent. Everything, it applies to everything. But how many of you know there's a law of aerodynamics that makes things escape the law of gravity in a sense? That's how metal objects can fly because of the law of aerodynamics. So as we get to know the laws, we understand that more fully in life. So there are spiritual laws. And because we are natural people, we don't understand the spiritual laws until the Holy Spirit begins to show us and teach us. And the, the natural laws doesn't get canceled by the spiritual laws, but there's some spiritual laws that are perhaps in certain situations higher than natural laws. And we just haven't discovered them, and we get, as we walk with Jesus, we get to know them. How many of you know that DNA has been around since the beginning of mankind? We only discovered it a while ago, but it doesn't mean it came about because we discovered it. And so we live in this world now where we're trying to see how does God bring these two together? How do they coincide? How do they work together? And that's what a person of faith does. That's why we want to grow and learn how to live a life of faith that holds these two together. Not forsaking the one for the other, but how to hold two together. And also knowing that we're not living in the perfect yet. If we were living in heaven, every person you'd pray for, if they got sick, now first of all, because they're in heaven, they're never going to get sick, but let's say we were in heaven and some one person got sick, we prayed for him, they'd be healed. But now we don't live in the fullness of that, do we? Remember? I've been saved, I'm being saved, and one day I will be saved. So now we're being saved. So now we're busy learning about this natural, supernatural world. And therefore, we can pray for the sick, but not everybody may get healed. Because we're not in the fullness of it yet. But we don't give up on it. We've got our rope, and we're holding on. And I'm, so Friday, I went to go visit a dear friend of mine that just got a diagnosis of cancer. Stage four, so he has to go for therapy, you know chemo, everything. Like breaks your heart. Now when I pray for him, I pray with hope because I know there's a future reality for him. That even if this cancer takes him and it's his end, it will not be his end. There's a future for him. Amen? But I don't just accept that with faith. I also pray for him that that future reality, it, God may it be your will that that future reality is done on earth. But I trust God for the whole picture.
I can pray with conviction. Heal him, Lord. I speak health to his body in Jesus' name. Every cancer cell, may it just come back into line with the word of God. I can pray that with all of my heart. And I can also walk with him through every treatment and when he doesn't feel so good. And perhaps if our prayers have not resulted in his healing and we're with him in his last days and if he goes to be with the Lord, I'm still in faith. Because my faith is an all-encompassing faith. You see, because otherwise we get to a place where we start saying, Ben, I prayed for you, you were sick and you didn't get healed, there's something wrong with your faith. It's because you didn't believe hard enough. How many of you know Ben's already struggling, that's not going to help him. And then sometimes we, like, we feel so, you know, faith plays a part. But it is not that straightforward. Now if I pray for Ben and he doesn't believe that he can be healed, how many of you know God can still heal him, even if he doesn't believe? How many, I've prayed for people and I've like, oh, I don't know if this is going to work, but I'll pray for you. I'm the pastor, so I have to pray. Boop, then God's healed him. I'm like, okay. That obviously wasn't my faith. Was it their faith? Was it my faith? Was it their grandmother that was praying for them's faith? Whose faith? We don't know. There's way too much because the Bible says we know in part and we see in part. We are learning what it means to live in a spiritual reality from a very natural world and the coming together of these two. And we want to be a community that learns all the time so that our faith can grow, so that we can trust God not only for the future promises, but let the future promises manifest itself here. Worship team, please join me. It's not an easy journey. That's why people get tempted to live in either or. When it comes to the matter of healing, for instance, you'll have some people that, that wants to retreat in, and tempted to live in this very spiritual place where everybody you prayed for must get healed. Or you get other people that gets drawn into this natural reality that no, you can't pray for people, they're not going to get healed. Now can I tell you, we live here, but we preach Christ and Him crucified. There's a future where everything will be perfectly done. I live right now in the space or where these things are coming together and I believe in Jesus. Every request I have for financial provision, I bring to Jesus. Some, he does the miracle I thought he, I asked him to do. Some, he doesn't. Some, he does a completely different miracle. Some, he does nothing. Because he knows. He knows the laws. He understands how all of this works. I don't. But through faith, I remain connected. I, I remain growing, testing, strengthening myself. But one day, we will be perfect. But now we're on a journey. The only way we can do that journey is we rely on the word. Sorry, we rely on the word. We be led by the spirit and we fellowship in community. That's the way to healthily engage and to do this learning. Won't you stand with me? I want to pray for us this morning. I don't know what your faith is like at the moment. I, I'm reasonably certain there are people here with us in the building online, on radio, 
that you can describe your faith in any of those. And perhaps in one area, your so faith is one thing, and in another area, it's completely something different. Perhaps you're here today and you have no faith. I want to pray for you that the Holy Spirit will show you miraculously, supernaturally who God is. Perhaps you have little faith. And right now you're fighting for your faith. Your, te- your faith is being tested. You've experienced some great challenge and difficulty. You've believed something and it doesn't seem like your faith is, is, is coming to any fruition. I want to pray for you. Perhaps your faith is being strengthened right now. I want to pray for you. But I want to pray for all of us in that sense that may the Holy Spirit guide us. So why don't you just open your heart to the Lord this morning. Lord, we believe you are who you say you are. That you are a good God. That you, you love because you, you, you are love. That you are just, that you are righteous. That you are compassionate. That you are kind, that you are slow to anger. That you are holy. We believe you say who you are. And we believe that you will do what you said you will do. First of all, based on what your word says you promised you will do. And so this morning, I want to pray for each of us, Lord, no matter what situation we are in, that where our faith is, Lord, where our faith's being tested, where our faith feels lacking, where the quality of our faith is, is perhaps not where it should be. I pray, Lord, come Holy Spirit and strengthen us in our innermost being to, so that we can see you, as Paul prays for the Ephesians, that you may know the love of God. I pray that for us, that we will know the love of God, that we will know you, Lord. Because the more we know you, the more we see you, the more we can believe you, the more we can have faith in you. Let us know you, Lord. And then, Lord, I I, want to pray that where we feel tested and tempted to give up right now, I pray, Holy Spirit, for truth, for the light to shine in our hearts and our minds in Jesus' name. And take authority over every scheme of the devil in this place for any person present online on the radio right now in Jesus' name. I take authority over every deceptive lie of the enemy that tries to cover up who God is, that tries to bring into doubt that God will do what he said he will do. In Jesus' name, that the lies will be revealed for the lies that they are, Lord, in Jesus' name. Lord, I pray that fear will not hold us captive, but it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. We are free in you, Lord. And I pray for that freedom within us in Jesus' name. Come, Holy Spirit. Perfect love drives away all fear. You love me. And I can believe in you. I don't have to fear. I don't have to fear you. God, and I don't have to fear anybody else or anything else. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your presence. And right now, Lord, every little flame, we just speak life over it in Jesus' name. Won't you just 
Just say to yourself, I believe in Jesus. I have hope in the future and faith for the present. In Jesus' name. May you go in the peace of the Lord. May you go in the strength of the Lord and in the power of the Lord. Because you are not living under the circumstances, but you are living under the grace of God. In Jesus' name. Bless you. Thank you for being with us today. Thank you for those joining us online. It's so great to have you with us and those on the radio. If you want prayer this morning, please come to the front. Our team will be ready to pray with you. If you desire for somebody to pray with you so that you can say yes to Jesus and give your life to Jesus and express faith in Jesus, we would love to walk that journey with you. Please come to the front. Let somebody pray with you and for any other need that you may have. Those that are interested in finding out more about the church, please remember to go to the foyer hall. Ben will meet with you there. And uh, just lots of blessings for a great, great Sunday.